This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 436. And the quote of the day is, put your heart, mind, and soul into even your smallest acts. This is the secret of success. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What is up? This is Nick. This is episode 436, and we're ready to rock it in the mix. I don't know. I just I have no idea. I don't even know what that means. I just said it because it rhymed. Uh, so anyway, yeah, maybe I should, maybe I'll come out with a, what do you guys think? Maybe I'll come up with a, with a freestyle album. I'm going to do a surprise album like Eminem and just drop it on everyone, except his got critical acclaim and mine will be horrible anyway uh i'm gonna get right into it with narada michael walden because this man this is an interview for the ages i have wanted to get narada on here for such a long time and maybe you don't know about narada michael walden so i'm gonna read a little bit about him because i think this is the best way to explain this dude and what he has accomplished he is Produced hits for artists as diverse as Aretha Franklin, including the Platinum Freeway of Love, Steve Winwood, Ray Charles, Winota Judd, Whitney Houston, George Michael, Mariah Carey, Barbara Streisand, Lionel Richie, Lisa Fisher, Stevie Wonder, Tom Jones, Jeff Beck, and The Temptations. The Emmy and multi-Grammy winning producer for Album and Song of the Year has been at the helm of hit music that spans decades. His music flows freely from pop, rock, and soul, and the rarefied realms of jazz, fusion, and world music. Walden was an integral part introducing Whitney Houston, producing six of her seven number one hits to break Michael Jackson's record, and megastar Mariah Carey to millions of fans worldwide, producing and writing their breakthrough hits that first brought these divas to the spotlight. Billboard magazine honed him as one of the top 10 producers of all time. Uh, he was also the drummer for a little-known band called Mahavishnu Orchestra and replaced a guy named uh, Billy Cobham and also played with Jeff Beck and a slew of other people. And this conversation that we had at his studio, Tarpan Studios here in, in San Rafael, in California, uh, it was absolutely amazing for me. It was game changing for me. Like the conversation literally changed my life and th- they were so hospitable at the studio. So I thank him and Jeff and the rest of the staff for, for allowing me into the studio and taking good care of me. And this is, you're going to want to listen to this episode a few times. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the legendary, the one and only Narda Michael Walden. So first of all, thank you for doing this. I appreciate this. Uh, as a drummer, I've been following your career for pretty much my entire life. So to sit here with you, your entire life. Damn, how old are you? Well, I'm I'm 37. So okay, maybe not my whole my whole drumming career. I like it. I should say. When did you start playing drums? Uh, I started playing when I was 15. Okay. Yeah. So so what's that? 20 20 mm-hmm. some years. Yeah, 25 exactly. Years? How old were you when you started? Well, I was as a little kid, you know. Yeah. I mean, really, really little. But I, I made my first album would be in 74 with the Mavish Orchestra Apocalypse. Yeah. So, 74. So, there you go. That's funny. That's enough years for you to be digesting music. And you were right after Cobham, right? Yes, sir. How do you, how do you approach that? By was not it intimidating? competing with Billy. 
you can never compete with Billy or anybody really. You can only, right. only compete with yourself. That's what my, my, my guru taught me that. Sri Chinmoy. He said, just compete with yourself. Be the best Michael. At that time, I was Michael Walden. See, be the best Michael Walden you can be. And, um, and that's how you approach things in the world. Because, you know, from my side, I have so much love, devotion, respect to Billy Cobham and all the great drummers on this planet that I'm a real student of all of them. I like to learn from them and be humble to, to really absorb from them. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is always just to be as friendly as I can to uh, be the best I can. I'm, I'm never like um, competitive in that kind of spirit. Sure. I want to. I want to borrow from the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Use from the best. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. But hey, man, I I know Billy Cobb. I've seen him. You know, I've seen yeah. him, I've seen him in rare, rare, rarefied air mm-hmm. where no one goes. I mean, no one. How so? I saw him with Mavishnu. Um, the first time I saw them, I actually saw them play live. I think it was at Hartford, Connecticut. Birds of Fire just come out. Yeah. And when I walked in the theater, the bright light was on John McLaughlin wearing all white with double neck guitar. And Billy and he were going at it. It was like a duet. Mm-hmm. But it was in 19, maybe 17, something really out there. I mean, so far out there, you could, you could barely count it. <laughs> right. I can't really tell you what they're playing in. But it was so dynamic and dramatic uh-huh. because they owned it. Didn't matter that it was so weird. The timing, they owned it. The power, the passion went on for so long. I had time to get up under, by the bottom of the of the, of the stage, to look up in John's eyes to see what was really going on, and his eyes were rolled back in his head. Really, and the, it was the, it was like bullets flying out of the amplifier, and it went on for so long. It was, you couldn't you couldn't contrive it. You couldn't like memorize it. Right, it was none of that going on. It was real. Like when you hear John Coltrane and Alvin Jones, it was real. But it was so powerful. Like we think about Jimi Hendrix, you know, Mitch or The Who being powerful. Mm-hmm. This is loud and powerful. Like we know rock can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. But so crisp and so clean, like like the best of jazz. Mm-hmm. And then taking all the Indian raga uh, information, we, we weren't hip to it. Right. We 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 didn't we, we couldn't comprehend. Yeah, yeah. Yet yet Cobham was owning it. And then, then they would stop on a dime and go back at it again, you see. So that's what I'm just telling you, man. I've I've seen him do things that uh that no no other other person I've ever seen do. And the, I remember the and, first and, time. And, I've heard and him. not to diminish anybody, no. Right, right, right. Okay. I mean it's Billy Cobham. You know, not to diminish yeah. Tony Williams, not to diminish anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I just remember the first time I ever heard my vision when I was like my whole, my, my, it changed my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. When you're like, this is, I didn't even know anything like this ever existed before. Well, it didn't. That's just it. I think. But I heard it well after it was, it was out, you know, I, right. I just discovered it and was like. Yeah. Well, we all, we all discovered it. We <laughs> right. all discovered right. it. Man. Right. Right. But Vishnu, that's the genius he is to put together something that we, that is so, so fresh. I mean, he owned the blues and the jazz and worked with Miles Davis and Tony Williams and, you know, with a lifetime, you know, he, he just was a. I mean, a brilliant guitarist, yeah, musician. But when he plugged into the meditation and prayer life with Guru, and then brought the Indian influence into it, now that's when it became like something that we just weren't, uh, you know, accustomed to knowing how to even like um, absorb. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember being in the, in the record shop in Pasadena when I was like nineteen, and I heard you know Inner Morning Flame, just blaring out in the speaker <laughs> in the record shop. I was like, 
there it was right there. Yeah. You know? And I knew Billy Cobham from a band called Dreams. I knew he, I knew he was cold-blooded. Right, right. His Dreams was cold-blooded <laughs> with Will Leon Bass yeah. and the Brecker Brothers. That was cold-blooded. Yeah. But in that, and the idiom of Mavish Orchestra, he could really take it out. And he did. Like, Vital Transformation is the most funkified James Brown and Odd Meter in the, in the world. Yeah. For so sure. I'm a massive fan. And when you get back to your first question, how do you come along and, and, and play after him? By total respect. Yeah. Total admiration and just compete with yourself. Were you intimidated? On the human level, yes. You, you think, okay, you know, there's no way I can do this. But in fact, you can't be human. You have to be divine. Right. And divine means plug into God. Divine means let God play you. And, then it's, and that's why we pray and meditate, to let God play us. Mm-hmm. To, re- to remind ourselves, not the ego, but God. Right. Let God come through. Do your best to learn it. Mm-hmm. Practice to learn it. But then at, at that stage, let God come through. Get out of the way. And Get out of the way. And that's what prayer meditation does. Yeah. And I needed that in my life because otherwise, we, we, as musicians, we take drugs. We think, mm-hmm. about, we think the drug life is where to go. Yeah. yeah. You know? And that will take you out of here. Mm-hmm. So the prayer life, meditation life that John had found and Carlos got into too really helped people like myself mm-hmm. who needed a new direction of spirituality to be great musicians and, and, and have a life. Right. Not, not, not die. Because I experienced that too. Yeah. I experienced though. You think it's kind of cool to have a little hit, hit of something, not knowing what it is. And next thing you know, you're, you're passed out. You're passed out. Right. So that's no good. Yeah. Nene again. Is that what, I mean, did you go there first to try? Oh, to, yeah. I've had, I had that experience. I sure yeah. did in L.A. when I lived down there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, what do you think it is? Do you think that, it, that it's, it sort of lets, ourself, lets us get out of our own way? And if it didn't have – like I think about all drugs in general, right? Mm. If it didn't have all the negative side effects, yeah. it can be sort of a, a very – a very uh, transformative thing Absolutely. you can do, and it can sort no. of get you out of your own way, that's, right? That is, and that's why we do it. Right. But the thing is to, 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 to experience it and learn from that experience. You have to keep repeating it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like LSD, I did you know, enough where I could learn from it. So now I can like, trip myself by thinking about it. Right. And that's one thing that I heard God tell me in one of my high experiences. You know, I got sad in an in in LSD experience because I, I heard the birds chirping so beautifully and the trees were so crystal clear with the sunshine coming down. Everything was just so perfect. I got sad. I'm thinking, how am I ever going to experience this again? Right. With the good without, Lord. without. Yes, exactly. But good Lord says, no, it's okay. As long as you can memorize this and feel this, you can, you can get back to it without having to do it. And that's hmm. really quite true. I can, yeah. can kind of, in my, in my spirit, in my mind, in my soul, Open up to a cosmic place. So how do you get to that? How do you get to that point? How do you I get really that? think that's that's why prayer and meditation um, we can't take, take lightly mm-hmm. because they they are the gateway, the keys to the doors that unlock the cosmic uh, universe um, of music mm-hmm. and and life in general. And I life in say. general, exactly. It's interesting because I've been for the last two and a half years I've been meditating every day. And I'm still trying to like, it's a practice. Yeah. It's something that it's almost, you know, you, you have to do it for a long time. I think to, to actually, like you have to get good at meditating, right? Would you say? Well, I, I, I look at it from two different sides because your first time doing something, you may think, oh, I wasn't so good as my first time doing it. But in fact, it, it could be from the highest standpoint, God may say, no, that was your best. So the thing I've learned is not to judge. Mm-hmm. Just do, right? No judge. Let God be the judge, and the same with music. Don't even judge your performances. 
Let God be the judge. Because sometimes you think, oh, tonight I was really great. God would say, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> but another night you think, oh, I was really, I was not good tonight. But no, God, but from the highest, they would say, this was the best. Right. Because something you did tonight saved a life in the audience. Mm-hmm. Something you did tonight turned on someone who was about to jump off Golden Gate Bridge. Something that happened tonight made, made something happen that's beyond, far beyond what you'd ever know about. Right. So right. you can't judge. That's what I learned. Be a musician that just loves and offers it at God's feet mm-hmm. and just do your very best and then back off. Did you always, did you always play that way? Did you always think that way? Or no, that... no, no. I've always known I had to get there. Right. But it, was, it wasn't until I learned through Guru's way of, of meditation and love, devotion, surrender to God, thinking more about God in your life in, in a practical sense, not mm-hmm. just, you know, when you go to church, right. but like on the bandstand. Right. You know, on the bandstand. Take God to the bandstand so you can go, okay, I know these songs. God, take over. And, and you just do it. And I'll do my very best to hang on. Mm-hmm. And when it's all said and done, I'm not going to judge it. I'm going to offer it back to you. Right. Right. So I had to learn that. Talk to me about the, the work that you did with the guru. Because, okay. I mean, that's where you got your, yeah. where you got your name and, yeah. and, and everything. How did, you, how, did you find, how did you find him? And how did you? The guru came to me through reading the back of Mahavishnu's album jackets. Like I would see on the back of Inner Morning Flame, a poem called Aspiration Fire. Mm-hmm. And I'd just read that poem. And then come with Birds, Birds the second album, Birds of Fire. There'd be another poem of called Birds of Fire, written by Shuchin Moy. So I'm, I'm understanding now that this is a big connection, mm-hmm. you know, of the inspiration that the guru is passing down and that Mahavishnu is absorbing and putting all this dynamic music with it. Mm-hmm. And so then when I did meet, meet Mahavishnu at that concert in Harvard, Connecticut, I, you know, I said, you know, I want to be like you. Because I've never seen anything like it. He said, well, you know, my guru and my prayer life, my meditation life really have helped me. I said, I know. I read on the back of your jackets. Right. You know, that it's a big part of your life. He said, and he said, I'm going to see the guru at 6 in the morning in Queens, New York. And I'll tell him, I'll tell him I met you. Maybe I can make it so you can meet him at some point. And then that hit me. Because now we're in Hartford, Connecticut. After this big concert he just played, he's going to drive in his car back to Queens all night and see the guru at 6 in the morning. Right. Then I realized, I mean, this is like another planet. Right. He's not hardly getting to sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to know what happened on that stage, no one could do. <laughs> and if you did do it, you'd have to sleep for like 10 years. Right. So now he's going to go back to Queens and not even sleep. Right. So now I went there and started realizing, man, this is like, it's another world. It's that important. It's that important. Right. It's that important. Right. And so I got a phone call from John McLaughlin about a week later. Because I gave my telephone number that night. Did you know him? No, before? I just met him and get, took a guy, a guy in the audience, a disciple named Apeksha who was kind enough to actually get me backstage so I could meet him. I said, I said, excuse me, sir. I know you're wearing white. You must be a disciple. I really want to meet Mahavishnu. He said, well, just wait here. Let me see what I can do. Right. And I waited. And this beautiful young man in the picture came back and got me and said, come. Man. I and mean, that's I, like, yeah. that's, I mean, that's fate right there, right? And don't forget, see, I've been in Miami. Mm-hmm. And in Miami, I got turned on to a few disciples down there. So I knew a little something. Maybe right. I didn't speak about that enough. I met a lady down there named Ina Carmel. And she had a center where they had a picture of Guru and some books of Guru. And I got, you know, I, I would go there and kind of just get myself familiarized with what they were doing. Because I knew that was Mahavishnu's teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and I would ask them questions like, what is, he, what is Mahavishnu like you know, in Florida? Right. And they oh, they're always very humble. Humble? What do you mean humble? Well, after he plays his concerts or tours, he'll come back home and he'll cook food for the guru and all the disciples. He will? Yes, he will. Huh. Wow. Okay. You know, and he's very devoted. Yeah, I can tell, I would say, you know. 
Yeah, no, he really is, though. I go, okay. So I was getting prepared right. for this mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing can really prepare you. Um, I got a phone call from Mahavishnu after I met him saying, please come meet the guru. I can't be there, but I want you to go. He'll be in Canaan. Not Canaan. Where is it going to be? Oh, it slipped <laughs> my mind where the center is in Connecticut. It's not Hartford. It's not New Canaan, but it's, but it's like that. It'll right. come back to me. Norwalk. 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 Thank you. He said, go to Norwalk and meet the guru. And I saw that I had long hair and I had a beard. I shaved my beard off, brushed my hair back, put on a little whatever. Like I had kind of semi-white dashiki. Right. And I had my friend in our old beat-up limousine. Uh, we had a band called the, the New McGuire Sisters. And with Ralph Armstrong on bass, we were a hot, hot band. I said, just... Drive me down to where I have to go. Mm-hmm. And they took me down there. How old were you? I was, if not 19, 20. Okay. Right there. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you're like right at that age where you're sort of, you're mature enough, but you're ready to, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're mature enough to, uh, to know and you're sort of, you know, foolish enough to where you need some guidance, right? Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't foolish. I would never say that. I was saying, or not in a foolish way, but, yeah. but in the situation where you, where you sort of, you know that you need some guidance. Or- For me, you have to understand. For John McLaughlin to call me back on the telephone, it was like Abraham Lincoln calling. <laughs> right. It was like Moses. It was right. like Jesus. It was like, you know, Santa Claus. Anybody who you think is the best, the greatest, right. calling you on the phone saying, do this. Right. Like, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah, for John sure. John McLaughlin to call somebody like, like me, and I'm, I'm way up in the woods. Right. You know what I mean? Way up in the woods with, with practicing with a band to call me on the phone and say, I can't be there. You go there. Right. Okay. So when I got there, uh, the boys were sitting on one side, the girls were on another side. There was only one chair left on the girls' side. So I just sat down with the girls. And he was singing these beautiful songs, beautiful songs. And then this old lady got up and started reading poems from a book called The Dance of Life, part two. And these poems were kind of like what, what I was used to seeing on the back of the jackets, but even more so. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Lord. How much longer must I wait before I can see your face? How many more tears must I cry before I'll see you? How much more work and service must I do, Lord? Like going on like that, on like that. I mean, so you just make your heart go like, oh, my God. And that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then I had to ask myself, am I really ready for this? Because this is what I asked for, but here it was right before me. Right. And so then after the meditation, we were asked to go upstairs to the library and look around and maybe pick out a book. And I did. I had very little, I had like $5 in my pocket. And this black disciple named Layla Hunt said, come on, I'll take you upstairs. And we went upstairs to the meditation room, and there was like all these books he had written, like hmm. thousands of books. And I had just enough money to buy that one. I heard that lady read called Dance of Life Part Two. So I bought that book, and I'm just coming back down the stairs. The guru's like right there. I couldn't believe it. He was just, just had me standing there. So I kind of, Froze. froze. <laughs> and I just stood there. And then he started to meditate. His eyes kind of went back like I saw John's eyes go back. And he just went out there. And I went with him as best I could. And then he said, So, you are Mahavishnu's friend? I said, Yes. He said, You would like to become my disciple? I said, Yes. I think I'm ready. Wow. That's what happened. Wow. And then he kind of walked away. But when he walked away, it was like explosions in my heart. Like a, like explosions going off. And I almost couldn't hold myself together. 
And then after that, I just wrote poems and poems of gratitude that John Milhawkins teacher would accept me. Huh. Very powerful for me. Wow. And then every week after that, I would go back to that same place and have meditation and just try to understand what it was all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And hearing you say that, I realize the the gap between where where you you know where you have gone versus sort of where I'm at where I think of like ways that I can be more present or ways that I can I can tap into to some other spirituality of some sort or you know hear the birds chirp louder or see the colors or whatever whatever it is and there's a there's a big gap in between I think where where I see things and and where you see things do you have do you have advice of getting there? Is it more is it more meditation? Is it more is it more openness? Is it more I think, gratitude? I, well, gratitude um, is such a beautiful thing because gratitude is love, and love is oneness, and the oneness that we can feel where you're there. Mm-hmm. So again, it's the mind that wants to separate. It's the mind that wants to tell you, "Oh, I'm there's a big gap." But right. in fact, God may say there's, there's no gap at all. So mm-hmm. I would say less listening to the mind and more in the heart where gratitude and love live. And then that feeling alone, you're there. Mm-hmm. That is really the most powerful thing in the world, like being with your mom, being with right. your dad. When you have love, that, that feeling is inseparable. Mm-hmm. There's no divide. It's, you're, you're together. Yeah. That's how we are with God. We're together. It's just the mind that makes us think, oh, we're not together. Right. It's a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. It opens it up for me a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. For sure. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. And, okay, and right. so how do you go from being, you know, blown away that, that John McLaughlin calls you on the phone yeah. to being in Mahavishnu Orchestra and like... Well, slow down because that's a big, that's a big to-do right, 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 <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah. So then what happened after I would go to meditation every week and then when Mahavishnu would come back in town from his tour, so he was very busy. He would say, can you, can you come down to my restaurant in Queens, New York called Anand Brahma? I said, okay. This is now my second time to see him. Right. So I went Where down. were you living at the time? I was living in Canaan, Connecticut. Okay. Up in the woods with this great group with Sandy Tirano on guitar and Billy Higgins on piano from Detroit and, mm-hmm. and Ralph Armstrong from Detroit on bass. And we had a great manager named Greg and, a, and my drum tech, uh, Greg DeJoven, who later became my manager. We were all up, all up at this, this, this cottage uh, barn house where we practiced and recorded for the new McGuire sisters, sisters, a hot band. And that's where I was living. Mm-hmm. And I would have my little cat cottage with my little picture of guru and some flowers I'd pick and make my own little candles Yep, like that. And I'd go down every week and meditate. But then when John said, come to my restaurant in Queens, I did. Mm-hmm. And I went to Anand Brahma. And then after we had a little bit of food, he played his acoustic guitar for me. So I took his acoustic um, case, guitar case, mm-hmm. and just played on it with him and so that was my first time playing with him like I do bongos right. on this thing so that's the first time then second time I played with him about a month later he actually came to the center in Norwalk and after the meditation there was a young fellow named um, I should know his name Shivantu Shivantu something like that he lived next door and in the basement he had a white small scratch kit so Vishnu said let's go over there and play I said okay so then he plugged into the, there's an amp downstairs on it with his double neck, mm-hmm. and I played that little white drum kit, and we wore it out together. That was our first time really playing together, right? And that was fabulous. But were you? I mean, were you? 
like were you already playing that kind of stuff anyway like were mm-hmm. how, were yep. you were already shedding it yep. in your own time yeah no we no you no, we, all all musicians at that time were playing yeah all the cats if you you had to be you had to be there you had to be plugged in and be playing it and know it and be and be on and be current right absolutely right. that's not a thing that happens now you had to be current you had to be aware of Alphonse Mazan, Lenny White, Billy Cobham, um, Tony Williams. Mm-hmm. You had to be aware of everything. Mitch Mitchell, you had to be aware of everything. My favorite cat in the funk world was a guy who came from San Francisco. I never even met him, never even saw him. He, now he's dead and gone, but his, but he, his name was Sandy McGee. Sandy McGee. With cold blood. Was never heard of him. Sisyphus, and I'm called Sisyphus. He was cold blood. Really tight, clean, funk. I couldn't believe how tight he was. So, you know, I just listened to everything. And, and any musician right at that time was on it. Right. All the cats. I don't feel like that happened. Well, I'm thinking y'all, 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 y'all sleeping. Y'all need to wake up. Because at that time, you couldn't, you couldn't advance if you weren't ready at a moment's notice to jump up and play with anybody. Right. Or, or, you, or you, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get it happening. I, and I, I agree with you. I, and I, I just don't see that now. Yeah. And also, I think I did miss, I did miss the first time I played. I, I may have... I'm getting confused. What I'm describing came after I became more disciplish. The, actually, the first time I think I really did play, if I'm honest about it, I, I must have skipped it. Was I went and saw my vision? I played Tanglewood, mm. outdoor with Jimmy, with, with Billy, and all that again. Yeah, 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 and that was phenomenal. And then what happened after that was another miracle, because after that show, John says, "You live not far from here." I said, "Yeah, I live not too far, but maybe in a couple hours, hour and a half, whatever." He said, well, put my double neck in the back of the other station wagon, and you drive to your house, and I can go over there, and we can play over there. I said, really? <laughs> so that was another miracle. I, I, I kind of forgot to tell you that, but right. I want to tell you because it's really important. Right. So I'm driving to my house, and he's sleeping. He's completely sleeping because he's tired. Right. And I'm driving him, I'm driving him to where, I, where we live, and when I get there, I go and tell the guys, you won't believe who's in the car. Mavish was in the car, and he comes and walks in the house. And the people just draw jaws dropped to the floor. They can't believe he's standing in our living room. Right. I mean, Ralph Armstrong, Santa Turan, all the people are just, we're just like, can't believe it. Here he is. So we offer him some food and we make him some broccoli and whatever we're going to make. Yeah. And then the next morning I have meditation with him. A very powerful meditation. And then we go to the, to the barn. And in the barn, we begin to play. And he sits in a stool. And he lets everyone solo before him. And we're playing really fast funk. Like that. Like that. You know? Because we want to be impressed. Maybe maybe even faster. But it was like, you know, because we were in Highline Adrenaline. And so, you know, he has Sandy play a great guitar solo and Billy on the piano. And everyone he plays. And then it's his turn. And they did a really spooky thing to me. I'm used to cats when they're playing, they show motion on their face, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you see Hendrix, you see Sandy, all the way, they're always got crying on their face. But Vishnu looks at me and he makes his face like stone. Like no expression. Really? But out of the amplifier are bullets again. Right. right. Like just bullets. So this freaked me out. So then I thought, okay, close your eyes. Then I was okay. I closed my eyes, then I just follow the sound and just really listen. Right. Then I could just fly. But if I looked at him, Oh, man. Freak city. Why did he do that? To freak me out. Really? Yeah, it was a test. See if you could hang. Yeah. It was just a test. Huh. It was a test. Did you feel like when you when you first met him, or maybe after you started meditating and everything, that you, like, 
that you were sort of on the same wavelength that were where you connected never i connect yes i connect a soul heart that yeah. connects but in wisdom and 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 um, he's 10 years my older he's 10 years my older brother right, right. so i'm always looking up to my Vishnu. sure i'm like a puppy dog right you know i'm like a, really i'm like a puppy dog mm-hmm. if he says something yes he says, the sky is orange yes oh no the sky is not purple yes like krishna and arjuna right i'm very much arjuna whatever krishna said that's it mm-hmm. but i was thinking more of a yeah the connectiveness or... we're connected but i'm a puppy dog whatever right. he says yes right like if he says you know later on when we started touring and playing oh tonight you didn't listen very well okay Okay, sorry. You know what I mean? And I'll be like, I thought I, thought I was re-listening. But no, not well enough. Because as I've come to find out, listening for a musician is it. Mm-hmm. It's not about your chops. Yeah, it's nice to have them when you need them. But if you're not listening, you can mess everything up. Like too much salt in the fish. Too mm-hmm. much salt in the food. Or too much sugar in something. Yep. Or too much pepper in something. Because, you, you know... Because you're not listening. So you got to really, and that's why to this day, my ears will ring sometimes. I had two stacks of monitors to hear everything he was doing. Hmm. And you know, he was a genius at going right down to a whisper. Right. But he was loud too, right? And then go right up, right up, you know, and build up. And then, then I learned the secrets. If his body would start to rock, his body started rocking back and forth, then he was getting out there, brother. And then it almost didn't matter what I played at that time. Right, because then he was out, and just playing what he needed to play, and then it was like magic, witnessing pure magic, like I saw with with, with Cobb with him. Hmm. Yeah, but 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 if the body wasn't rocking, I had, I had to be, do a better job of listening, right, to get the body to rock. So I learned those kind of secrets. There's a, to me, it seems like there's a lot less listening going on now too. I think that most people. From a conversation standpoint, and I think music is a conversation, I think that from a conversation standpoint, people listen to respond and not listen to listen. I understand. You know, the whole world's gotten faster. This mm-hmm. is, we're talking about, I was in 73. Right. And the world was fast in 73. But don't forget, I was on a spiritual journey. I was on a spiritual quest. Right. So I was learning to more appreciate silence. I was more learning to appreciate prayer, meditation, slowing the mind down mm-hmm. so I could be more quiet. Right. Because that was the trick, to actually slow the monkeys down in the brain right. so that you can absorb more. And then when you start absorbing more, then you can absorb even more. Mm-hmm. And then God sees that happen. And God says, okay, you can take that much. Now you can take this much. Right. Okay, now you can handle that much. Now you can handle this much. Okay, you got that much? Okay, check this out. Here's going to come a, a whole big whammy at you now. <gasps> Wham! <laughs> See, that's how it goes. Yeah. When the, when the universe starts knowing, oh, you, oh, you're paying attention? Check this out. Wham! Yep. That's how it works. The best way I would be able to describe that, I think that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Okay. Fair. Would you agree with that? Don't know what that means. All, all I know is wisdom to me, I can say, wisdom to me is love. Hmm. That's all I can describe wisdom. If anything, anything to do with anything wisdom tells me love. Love you, love people, love life, love, 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 love. Love the hippopotamus. You know, to be able to tell God when I go back to heaven, I saw the hippopotamus. Mm-hmm. That's love. Right. Be able to say, on the bandstand, whoever I was with, I had love for them. I love blood on the stage. I brought love. That's my wisdom. I like that. I don't want anything else besides that. Right. If I don't have love, ain't no wisdom, ain't nothing. Might as well be dead. Right. But if I have love, now we can cook. Right. And I can turn the, now, now the fire's on the stove. Mm-hmm. See, and that's what people need from me. 
Jeff back on down. They want, they want me to put that fire on the stove, you know, so heat it up, get it cooking. Now they can do what they, what they have to do. Right. If I'm, if I'm not bringing my love, the fire never comes on. So how do, you, how do you combat the sort of the negativity and, and the, the hate and all those things that are happening in the world? How do you block, not block it out, but how do you rid yourself of it? Okay, it's twofold. That's a very good question. On one hand, we're, we're professional musicians. What does that mean to be called a professional musician? That means when you show up, I don't care what's going on in the world. Your mama dies. Your daddy dies. Uh, you know, I can't imagine it. My uncle died. I had to go through that. People are close to you. You still got to put a show on. You still got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. So you find a way in your heart of hearts to be professional. That's one thing I wanted to say. Right. Beyond that, the music itself has a power, a life. And if you let it, it will take over. And I have prayed about letting it take over. Mm-hmm. So that's my desire in life. That's my aspiration in life, to let the life embrace music and and the, and the beauty of music and let it, let my spirit my whole my whole essence get caught up in it mm-hmm. and, and i love that so it's like when you jump off a cliff in a way music is like that you want to play where you can feel yourself flying i want right. i don't care if it's a bad beat i don't care what it is i still want to feel like it's cooking right the fire's on so yeah. no matter i don't care i don't care what happened when it's my time to play the sound of my drums turns me on mm-hmm. if even the drums are all raggedy the way my hand's going to hit them is going to turn me on. The way my, my foot's going to go boom on that bass is going to turn me on. Mm-hmm. If, something's going to turn me on. And I've learned the trick. In three seconds, turn yourself on. Hmm. That's, what, that's, that's what it is to be a musician. Right. Look at Michael Jackson on the side of the stage looking all limp. Like, like this. Right. And ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. You know, for the superstar of all time. Michael Jackson. When you cross that line, bam. On. On. You learn it. You learn how to look it on. They say you've been on, you've been touring, you know, on the buses all night long. You're tired. Yeah. You learn how to turn it on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a discipline. Yeah. Like being happy is a discipline. Talk to me about that. Okay. If you fake a smile, you can fall into a smile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't listen to you say that without smiling. Okay. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm a happy dude, but. <laughs> so go, well, talk to me about the happiness thing, because I, because happiness, do, you, do you think that happiness is a choice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's a discipline. Absolutely. You can decide to be happy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the more we do decide to be happy, the happier we're going to be. Because it's another thing I've learned about, about the, 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 the mysteries of, of life. When we're happy, and I don't mean to be like I don't mean just to stay in a fake mode, but I mean to, to to try to be genuinely to feel happy if you can about whatever it is, grateful to be alive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, your your heart's beating. Something's happening to make right. that make that make that happen. I'm not making that make that happen. Something make that happen, right? You know what I mean, right? So just that in itself, if you if you lock into it, can make you happy. Like, mm-hmm. hey, my my eyes open up, my heart's beating, and I can breathe. You know, right. I have leukemia. I'm not, I'm not sick in the hospital somewhere. I'm all right. That's a wonderful thing. And then I also realized that God likes us happy. We can do more when we're happy. Mm-hmm. Like a boat. Let's say we're out in the, in the ocean. When we're happy, it's like putting up the, the sail. Right. And tuning the sail to catch the wind. Now we can move. But if you don't, if you're not really, you're not trying to be, you're not even trying to be happy. You can go the other way. Keep the sail down. 
you know, it's like no purpose, no direction, no. Yeah, like waiting, like waiting through mud and depression. Yeah, which is very real. Yeah, which is very real. So I've learned to to combat depression, to combat the the um, the severities of life's disappointments, Mm -hmm. to put my sail up, and to engage in trying to catch the wind of God's grace. Right, which requires me to be happy and grateful on some level to catch it. Mm Hmm. Well, did you, ever, did you ever hear the three boats? It's sort of the three boats thing. No. So it's a joke. We'll do. I'll say it quickly. <laughs> okay. But there's a guy standing on top of the standing on top of his house, and the water's rising. Water's rising. Guy comes by. Hey, hey, hop on the boat, man. You know, he said, well, I'll, "I'll save you." He said, "Don't worry." He said, "God's going to save me." He says, "Okay." <gasps> Second boat comes by. No, God's going to save me. Right. Third guy comes by. Dude, get on the boat, man. Like the water's rising. He said, "No, don't worry. God's going to save me." The guy drowns, dies. Right. Yeah. He gets to heaven. Yeah. God, why didn't well, I thought you were going to save me? He said, "What are you talking? I sent you three boats." That's right. I do know that way. <laughs> so it's That's it's wonderful. and I think about it like that. It's like you there's opportunity out there for you to, you know, I could on the way here, right? Yeah. Driving here, I could I could probably pick out 10 negative things about my ride here, right? Mm-hmm. Or I can just not think about them and not pay attention to them and think about all the great things that happened. Mm. You know, I could say, Oh, this guy caught me off or this happened or this happened. Or right. I could say, Oh man, I drove in. There was no traffic. Mm-hmm. Sun was shining. I was listening. To some- See, but I think what you're saying right now, if you can bottle that for the whole world or even for yourself, man, that is it. Mm-hmm. You've discovered God realization. That's but, it. But and that's gratitude, right? That's anything that's, you want to call love, it. Right. I'm telling you, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, call <laughs> it, but that is it. Bottle that. Yeah. Because that is it. When you can find a way to be happy and, and what do you call it, see it half full and half empty. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm choosing to think, think, I get to go talk to Narda. I get, I get to go do this. I get to go. Not that pissed me off. That pissed me off. Right. Because all I that have stuff to go do will this make thing. you so embittered yeah. that when you get here to talk to me, you ain't right. 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 And you, you try to get right. You can't get right. Right. Even, all right, so prime example, right? <laughs> I got it, and this, and don't take, this didn't bother me, right? So we were supposed to start at one, you were late, right? Yeah. I had two amazing conversations before you got here, mm-hmm. in at, at here at the studio. And I was like, well, if you didn't show up late, I would never would have had those great conversations. Mm-hmm. So I, I can look at it that way, or I can say, oh man, I said, no, I, I thought it was great. Yeah. It wasn't part of the plan, mm-hmm. but that's cool. That's right. I'm cool with that. That's right. Because now I met two people. I had great conversations with two people mm-hmm. that I would have never even talked to before. Yes. You Guru, know, Guru call, calls that God's hour. Like things happen in God's timing. God's mm-hmm. hour. Right. Like you said, I'm going to wait. I'm not, I'm not going to give you your name right away. I, I waited like three years to get my name. Yeah. Yeah. Narada. But when I did get my name, because even Bob Isham was off the path with him, I got my name. I said, please come to the church with me. I'm going to get my name. Tonight. I can't go. I said, come on. Huh. Come on. Getting my name tonight. I can't go. I said, okay. That's my brother's name. He can't go. Right, right, right. But I go to the church, and Guru says, you waited for God's hour. It's now the time for you to get your name. And your name is Narda. And he went for a long time saying, no, ra, da, long, long. I don't know if my name was Narada until the time he <laughs> says, Narda. And he says, Narada's soul brings from heaven to earth light, delight, and compassion. And takes back to heaven from, from earth, earth sufferings. So through music, I'm trying to take away the suffering of the world and bring more happiness and delight and what keeps us half full. Mm-hmm. Not this, I'm so sad I can't do anything right. attitude. 
And then Guru proceeded to tell me uh, about God's hour, how important it is that we do things in God's timing. Mm-hmm. And then he told me the story of the three incarnations of Narada. The first incarnation of Narada, he was a hermit in the woods. His mother raised him in the woods, and she cooked the food for the hermits who would do prayer and meditation in the woods. So then Narada would serve the food to these hermits. That was their job to, to pray and meditate all day long. Hmm. So then he'd be like a young kid, but his mom died of a snake bite. So then the hermits took him in. And the first time they taught him how to meditate is when he saw God in his heart. The very first time. See that? But never happened again in that lifetime. Never again. But he died. And the second incarnation, Guru said, temptation really caught him. He had 50 wives. <laughs> 50 wives. And they drove him crazy. <laughs> Damn, so I would say, I got so one. That's enough. <laughs> so he went, he went back to heaven. And he said, I, he said, I don't want to go back to earth anymore. I've had it. God said, no, I want you to go back a third time. But this time I'm going to teach you how to play the vena, like a sitar. Mm-hmm. And I'll teach you a beautiful devotional song, like a hymn to me, that'll make you happy and keep you inspired. And I want you to sing this song for people. And that's the incarnation that we know about Narada in India, in the Bhagavad Gita and all those books, how he would appear and disappear right. and do beautiful things is the third incarnation. Mm-hmm. So Guru told me all these beautiful things that night when I received my name. So it's amazing. Yeah. And then that was just in time for my Garden Love Light album. Yeah. Which I'm very proud of, my first solo album. Mm-hmm. Which had Jeff Begg on and Carlos Santana and David Sanchez and Raymond Gomez and Will Lee and Mike Gibbs did strings and Tom Dowd was the producer with me. Man. And Dennis McKay did sound from London and Jimmy Some Heavy hitters. Did, did, yeah, did did you know the, the tape opening and engineering and in Atlantic Studios, mm-hmm. where Aretha Franklin had recorded, where Ray Charles had recorded. Yeah, but you were, and you were, I mean, you not at the time, though, but you were ended up working with all of them, too. Oh, yeah, but that was, that'd be, that'd be, like, that'd be like lifetimes later. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And 76 to making Love Garden Love Light for me was a very big to-do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And even having Sissy Houston sing a backup with her girls on Garden Love Light. Mm-hmm. Here comes, I didn't know it, little 11-year-old Whitney Houston. Right. She sat in the corner, just as beautiful as an angel. Watching her mom singing on my song. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, all these things happen so beautifully. Herbie Mann, I met so many great musicians at that time. How did you, how did you know Sissy? Atlantic would be Arif Martin walking around. Would be the Bee Gees walking around. Would be like Bette Miller walking around. Would be Ringo Starr walking around. Would be like... Um, were you sort of like... Were you, were you blown away by absolutely. it? Absolutely. Or were you... No, brother, let me stop. I'm a fan of music and musicians... And of all of it, mm-hmm. I'm like a pig and slop. <laughs> <laughs> I am, man. Yeah. Un- unabashedly, unashamedly so. Mm-hmm. I love music. I love the players. I love the people who make it. And I'm a student. And teach me. Right. See, that's where I'm coming from. Teach me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Tom Dow would teach us about compression. Compression is heavy, man. Yeah. You can spend your whole life on just setting compression. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm so happy at the time of my life to, to rub the elbows with those people. I mean, the first time I was ever on with Apocalypse with my Orchestra was Sir George Martin, right. the Beatles producer himself, mm-hmm. and his great engineer, Jeff Emmerich, and London Symphony with Michael, Michael Tilson Thomas. And when we first went to record that in 74, they put my drums in with the strings, and when they heard me start playing, they said, oh, no. 
this is not going to work at all because my drums are loud. And they were right and banging on all the strings. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they moved me immediately across the hall. <laughs> and, and, and across the hall, they put me with John McLaughlin and Ralph and, <laughs> and Gail and John Luke Ponte. And we had little cameras. Right. Little TV, little TVs, little cameras, so we could see the orchestra with being conducted across the way. And that's how we made Apocalypse. Really? With cameras like that. Really? It was heavy, man. What were you, what were you in, like some little isolation? Yes. <laughs> because I, cause they, this, this cat's too loud, man. <laughs> oh, oh, no, you won't ruin this. We will not ruin this record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put some towels over his <laughs> Yeah. Put him on lockdown, man. <laughs> this, cat's, this cat's hitting him. <laughs> It's like detention. Yeah, yeah. So did you, w- was doing, like, when you started playing with Maya Vishnu, was that, did that start to open up some doors for you? Like, did that, did, how, what, did, did that lead to, like, Jeff Beck, or how, how what was the transition? Vishnu. Like, how do you go from that to, like, you know, producing pop records with, like, huge stars, and, I mean, how, that's a, that's a long road, I know. Oh, it is. But how did, how did those doors start to open for you? One at a time. Yeah. You can't, I can't sit here and just give you one answer. Of course. Um, but, but let me start with what you've asked. Ma Vishnu discovered me. He'll, he'll say no. He's so humble about his spirit. He'll say, no, I didn't discover you. But he did. Right. Had he not chosen me, plucked me, taught me, gave mm-hmm. me, a, gave me a, um, a platform, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many musicians in the world who are dying to play with a guy like Ma Vishnu. It was just God's grace that I was chosen. Right. Pure and simple. And and he took me on. So can he, I ask you a question about that? Absolutely, quickly? absolutely. What? A, and I deal with this a lot because yeah. I talk to a lot of drummers that are either semi-professional or amateur that are they've been playing for twenty years. They never really got over the hump. They never got to play with any of these amazing artists, and the, and they're phenomenal musicians. Yes, but just never, you know, never. I I hate saying the word made it because I don't. I don't like using that term, but just never, never got over that hump. Uh, and they struggle with it and they str- and it's a, it's a, it's a source of depression and regret mm. and sort of sadness when they look back at their, their career and they never, they never got to achieve anything. Do you believe that just some people are supposed to do that and some people aren't, or do you have advice for someone who's thinking okay. that way? You know, you're hitting on something that happened recently in my life. In my life. Carlos comes here to record, mm-hmm. the great Carlos Santana, and he is great. Mm-hmm. And he sat in there. Actually, I was sitting down. He was standing up talking to me. And he looked right at me and says, you know, you make your life. You know, you can decide what you're going to do. You make your life, you know. He was just, you know, just talking as he did. He right. always talked really powerfully. Right. He said, you know, you can decide, you know, you want to do something or you don't want to do something. Mm-hmm. And he was right. You know, we decide what we want to do in our lives. I'm not saying that I can decide I'm going to be on the Ed Sullivan Show playing drums with the Beatles. Right. I'm not saying I can decide I'm going to have a number one record. Cause that, that's, that's beyond me. But what I can decide is I want to do my best to reach out to meet Mahavishnu. Right. I want to re- do my best to reach out to meet the people that I admire. Mm-hmm. Now, nothing prevents me from doing that. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Um, is a big part of, I want to say, like you say, making it. Right. But at least... Getting in the, in the rarefied air to meet the rarefied air, right? Because you got to breathe it and be around it mm-hmm. to be part of become become part of what they call the rarefied air by not being too afraid to take yourself out of the out of the ball ballpark. Mm-hmm. On one hand, we're so shy and intimidated on as human beings, and that's that's part of the beauty of who we are. Right? Like look at Jimi Hendrix. I got to talk about it. 
here is probably one of the one of the genius cats of all time on guitar. Right. What he could do with it, and how far he could take it. Mm-hmm. But if you talk to Jimmy, or you see any footage of Jimmy, or know anybody who really really knew him, he was incredibly shy. Yeah. And you know, talking like this, and mm-hmm. but on the stage, he was an animal. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, we as a lot of musicians have to find the bridge and the balance to be the humble, shy guy that you may be, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of your genius. That's part of your gigism. And find the confidence to reach out, mm-hmm. to be able to get over here to tarp in and talk to me as you're doing. Right. Go out and do the things that you got to do to help connect the thing. Mm-hmm. It's important. I think I mean, the had, difference about Jimmy not met. Chaz Chandler. And then Chaz says, hey, I think you should come to London with me. Now, Jimmy said, I'll go on in one circumstance. And Chaz, what is that? If I go to London with you, I want to meet Eric Clapton. I'm a big fan of Eric Clapton. Chaz said, I know Eric Clapton. Right. I'm, I'm, I play with the animals. I, know, I, can, I, know, I know Clapton. You can see Clapton right away. Jimmy says, okay, cool. I'll go. Yeah. See what I'm saying? But had Jimmy said, no, I'm not going with you. Or no. I'm not going to talk to you. Thing you know, all, yeah. whatever, whatever we do as people, right? No, you play, you play with the animals. I don't care about the animals. I don't even like the animals. Mm-hmm. Disconnect. Right. That would have been. You know, he might have stayed in New York and never, never knew, knew the guy. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You got to kind of open up the heart and trust a little bit, and have faith a little bit, and have faith in yourself to kind of just reach out a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's important. I feel. Yeah. Like I look at the people who don't have even the talent a lot of other people may have, but what they have is go getemism. Yep. Yep. Like, Madonna's a very talented chick, no doubt. Right. But her go getiveness will slap you upside your head. Mm-hmm. One time I, was, I met with her, I was going to produce her. She came out, we hung out. She was gorgeous. I was like, oh my God, it's Madonna. We hung out. Right. And this is even before she had like a virgin. I mean, like, you know, early. Oh, this is early, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, she already had one hit, but not like a virgin yet. Mm-hmm. I was going to make the album going like a virgin. And we were all getting on. And she said, you know what? I know you just signed a Warner Brothers. I'm calling Lenny Warner, the president, and telling Lenny to push your album back to make time for my album to come first. I go, wow, you really are something. Wow. And that's when I realized people who make it like that, that's why. Yeah. They don't call the president, right. tell the president to push your album back right. to make room for my album right. or their album. So that's when I started realizing it's, it's, it is not just the talent. It's just kind right. of a little bit of, you know, hey, I'm getting mine. Right. I'm right. getting mine. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be, I, I don't think, you don't, you don't have to be cutthroat about no, it. You, you, don't, don't. You, can be, you can be good about it. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I'd love to hear your opinion, but I think that people, people straddle yeah. two sides of the, of the fence. And they say, well, I'm, I, I want to do this, but I'm going to keep my options open. I'm going to keep sort of one foot. And then 20 years later, they're like, oh, I didn't make it. And it's like, well, you never went all in. You I, never. I understand that. You never dove in. I understand that. I do understand that. You know, we're all taught, including myself. You know, you you keep your options open. We're all taught that. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you one thing, and and I think it's good for any musician who's really you know just possessed by music. When you play your instrument, you get so lost in it, you can't do anything halfway. Right. That's how it was for me. Mm-hmm. Or and it is for me. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to play with you, or play with your friends, or play whatever. We're all in. It's right. like swimming. You get you get all wet, right? You can't get halfway. You can't wet, get half wet, right? Right. right. The same thing, right? So, just getting all wet when you when you do something adds up, right? It really does. Mm-hmm. You ever got to do a whole bunch, a whole bunch, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of as much as you just do what you do. 
Because like Guru taught me another thing. He said, five minutes of intense meditation is better than an hour of easygoing meditation. Mm-hmm. It's like practice, right? Boom. Five minutes of intense practice, getting all wet in the water, yeah. is better than an hour of waiting in the water. Yeah, for sure. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. That five minutes of getting down can, 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 can take you far, far places, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go back. We were talking about sort of the doors that started opening for you. Uh, and I, I interrupted and sidetracked this. That's so right. so you're, <laughs> you're, uh, you're a core of my vision. You're in Atlantic. And then from there, I was sort of wondering how that, how that timeline happened and how the doors started opening up for you to, to start. Well, okay. Let me see. I did because at the time, let me. Were you you were just playing, right? You weren't producing or no, anything no, like that, no, right? I, I only watched producers. I watched right. George Martin. Mm-hmm. I watched the second album we did was called Visions of the Emerald Beyond. I watched Ken Scott, who did the, the Beatles White Album, mm-hmm. and I and I watched him. I would say, okay, how did you get the sound of that thuddy, thuddy sound with Ringo? He said, oh, it was easy. We put. We put some uh, towels on the drum, but then you put on the bass drum a sheet. Right. I said, well, show me. And he would. Mm-hmm. So I was a student again, you see. The third album I ever made was uh, Inner Worlds, recorded at the Hunky Chateau with Mavish Orchestra, and that was with Dennis McKay from London. And he was another great engineer, producer type guy who would just let us fly high and, and make everything sound like a Jimmy and Hendrix in the studio. It was like, wow, moving the pan the guitar around and... I often felt like Jimmy was on that record, just just in spirit, because Vishnu was playing this six-string guitar, which is, each string was going through a Moog synthesizer, and then that would go through a ring modulator. Really? And the sounds that he could get into was like unheard of. We he never heard before. string going through each a different Moog. had a Moog. <sighs> then those six banks would be fed through his pedal board of a ring modulators. If you listen to Inner Worlds, like Miles Beyond, I'm listening Miles to out, it. whatever those tracks are, yeah. <laughs> it'll tip you out, man. It was, it's some stuff that was never done before. And I, I mean, I've listened to it, but na- now knowing that. Exactly. Because I, I would always wonder, listening, like, where is it? That is it. All right. That is so it. So now, now I can listen to it with a, more of a, yeah. a finely tuned That's my ear. third album. Then my fourth album, I got a phone call in, in making that because we, we toured with Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. Jeff, band with Bernard Purdy and, and the Mavish Orchestra. We toured together. Oh, wow. Australia. America, mm-hmm. maybe someplace in Europe, and I got a chance to really watch Jeff. And we and almost every show would also jam together too. Mm-hmm. Both bands, we jam. Nice, and that would be incredible to play with Bernard Pretty. Yeah, of course. You know, just to kind of lock into his thing because his thing don't, don't does not move. Right. See, my thinking might be like kind of you know speedy, push it a little bit. Not with Bernard. You have to really yeah. like lock it. It's like a Cadillac, right? And it's wonderful. Yeah. So I learned that, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did. At least got exposed to it. Right. That What, that sense of pocket? Yes. You, you didn't have that before? Yeah, not like that. No. No one will. Yeah. Bernard Purdy owns it. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. I, I don't I care agree. who you are. I agree. So what I'm going to say is, what am I going to say? I know I'm going to say. I'm going to say that I got a phone call from Jeff Beck to go to London after making Inner Worlds to make an album for him or play on something for him. And when I got there, they had one song only. They had no more, no more material. They had one song called Lead Boots. And we went to the basement in a place in London, a little flat with Max Milton and the bass player who had played with, with Bernard um, on bass. Um, and his name will come to me in a minute. Please forgive me. That's okay. We and, don't talk about bass players much and, on here. Yeah, drumming and myself. No, and I'm kidding. glad I had my little cassette machine with me. Right. So I could, when we play that song, it came to me immediately, what, what, what pattern to play. Mm-hmm. And I recorded on my cassette 
that pattern. Because when I came to the studio to actually cut it later on, when right. we finally did cut it, I forgot how to play the pattern. Right. So I went back to my tape. And that helped me so much at that period of my life with them, with Jeff Beck, with, with Weatherport, people like that, to learn the music. Because you, you couldn't read it. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't record it, you'd forget how to play what you learned in rehearsal. Right. So my little tape machine saved me every time. And then Jeff was so kind to me. He said, you know, I need, need more, more music. So then during the mixing of Inner Worlds at Trident Studios, John would be upstairs with, with you know, um, Dennis mixing. I'd go downstairs by the piano and write Sophie, Love is Green, um, Come Dancing, Play With Me, those pieces. Right. And i just show them to Jeff. And Jeff's, okay, that's great. Let's learn it. He was just like, you know, eager to like learn. And we did. Right. And that, that's, that's the wired out. And you were already a piano player by that, right? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, when I say play piano, I'm not a Herbie Hancock. Right. I play piano to write. Right. And my left hand plays the bass lines. So I, I can do what I want to do. But I'm not like a great soloist necessarily. Right. Yeah. Right, right. But I play like to write mm-hmm. and to and to jam my ideas. So are you, when you're doing that, are you, because I, I played piano for about nine years and okay. now I think I can successfully play Mary Had a Little Lamb, maybe, if I had to. I I just, for I just went out the window. I didn't practice it. Uh, but, so are you just putting the chord structures together and letting other people no, flesh it out? Or no, you're no, actually... No, let me tell you. My right hand becomes the the, the, the chordal structure and the rhythm for the band. Okay. My left hand plays the bass line when I, what I want the bassist to play. Okay. Out of my mouth, I'm singing the melody when I want the, the, the lead guitarist to, 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 to emulate. Interesting. Yeah. It's all okay. the parts. The lead, the right, the right hand for the band, the rhythm and the, and the chord, mm-hmm. and my bass line. It's all coming in like that. That's all. I've always written like that. Hmm. Always written like that. Every, all even my pop music is like that too. Yeah, yeah. So how do you go from writing with Jeff Beck to writing pop tunes? Easy. Uh, I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detroit Motown is not far away. Right. Chicago, where my, my dad comes from, is not far away. Where Curtis Mayfield, all that music comes from. Mm-hmm. So, and we're raised steeped in music. Yeah. All kind of music. I mean, from country music to like Patty Page, Old Kid Cod, you know, uh, Johnny Mathis. Chances are. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Smith, the sermon, Horace Silvers, all that music, you know, yeah. uh, Campbell Alley, Seven Miles High, Mercy, Mercy Me, you know, Dave Brubeck, Take Five, Nina Simone, Live at Town Hall. You know, wake up, little Susie, yeah. wake up, all that, any kind of thing. Beatles, the, the the British Invasion, Shindig, Hullabaloo, all that. All you could watch was TV and check out things because you couldn't see anything really because you're so far out in the middle, middle of nowhere. Right, right. So that's what I'm saying. That's how we learned everything, by hmm. watching and really a student. And also the snow and the ice and the sleet, you're locked in your house a lot. Yeah. Oh, I'm from the East Coast. And so I get you study, it. Yeah. You study, you play, you get lost in your music. Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. And I had a little turntable, a little small 45 player. I'd rush home from school and play King Curtis, Soul Serenade, or rush home from school and play Ray Charles, That Lucky Old Son, or rush home and listen to um, April in Paris, Count Basie, with that bad boy on the drums. Mm-hmm. Sonny, Sonny Emery, Emery, Sonny Emery. Pain. Pain. Sonny Pain, right? Yeah. That's right. Thank right. you. Sonny yeah. Pain. See what I mean? I mean. So that, underrated. Nobody talks dynamite. about Sonny Pain, man. Just dynamite. You ever see the videos I'm playing live where he's doing the solo and no, he's putting man. the stick around it's his neck? It's dynamite. <laughs> oh, see, man. so that I'm saying. It's all available to us. Like you say, it's all yeah. available. This is what we're going to pick up on. Yeah. But it's all there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man, Sonny Payne. Yeah. I love that dude. Of course. I'm sure by now you've seen all these cryptic messages from Mapex on their Instagram page about a breakthrough in versatility and sound isolation and resonance control. 
Well, let me tell you. I did some digging, and I found out not too much, but I found out a little bit. I had a conversation with them because they're advertisers on the podcast, and they literally put me on hold on the call so they wouldn't release certain information. But here's what they told me. They said, Nick, this is a new concept in drum building. It's a revolution in sound production. We're introducing six or seven groundbreaking ideas when it comes to drum building. I was blown away by that. But that's all I got. That's all I know. Don't hit me up. I don't know anymore. I told him not to tell me anymore. That's all I know. But the good thing is you can follow along. You can join in on the conversation. Head over to Instagram. Go to Mapex's Instagram account or just search the hashtag built from the sound up. I cannot wait to see what is coming down the line here in the fall from Mapex. Check it out. Built from the sound up. Hey, if you're looking for a drumstick that lasts longer and feels like a drumstick, then you need to check out Promark Firegrain. Promark's new Firegrain drumsticks utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They're not using any space age gimmicks and there's no excess vibration or anything like that. Just natural hickory hardened by flame. Also, the best part is that they come in a wide variety of sizes in classic forward balance and select balance, and you can check them out by going to promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Narda Michael Walton. I wanted to ask you, I, I sort of lost my train of thought when we were talking about, about the songwriting stuff and, and getting in, into pop music. Like when you were, when you were a kid and you're listening to, mm-hmm. to Ray Charles, right? Yes. And then you get to work with Ray Charles. Oh, I'll tell you the story. Are right. you like... I was daunted. Are you like, how did this even... No, for me, what happened was, it's, this is how it is. You know how you, we get together and we like bring it, bring it kind of down so we can kind of become friendly and talk? Right. It's like that. You, with Ray Charles, even though I know it's Ray Charles, mm-hmm. I have to become a, my, an actor right. in my heart. Like, like we're old friends. Mm-hmm. So that he can feel a friendship. I can feel the friendship. And we can kind of work as opposed to I'm a fan. Right. And a giddy little teenager where he can't really, really trust my decision-making because I'm a giddy teenager. Right. He's got to feel like I'm kind of solid on some level. You got to be professional. So I kind of come in like yeah. that. Even though I'm a big, I'm that massive, massive, massive fan, like we all are. Right. You know, I got to act like what brought me there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, then, okay, that's good. But then guess what I, I did? I said, Ray, I, I guess I have to tell you. When I was little, I carried in the snow with me. Your live album. You know what I say, tell the truth. And it starts out with some instrumental pieces like uh, Frenzy, and um and but I wrote that piece out by my hand and I'm playing alto sax alone as all and then I just shrunk and looked at him like a big ass mountain and I couldn't hide it anymore. Right. Because, you, you know, you just caught me like a rat. <laughs> you caught me. And, you know, I said, Ray, I, I know. You're incredible. Yeah. Every note of that record is perfection. Mm-hmm. Every, to this day, every note of that live album is perfection. Down to the stomp of his foot, counting the band off. Every bit of it's perfection. Yep. I mean Perfection. Not no half perfection. Not no half sandwich. The whole sandwich. <laughs> so when he told me that, and I, I just, you know, I, just, I lost it. Right. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fake it. Right, right. I'm in love with you. And no one's as bad as you. And, and you've written the damn book. Right. For all of us. 
And any was any, no one in the damn thing know that. Was he cool? He was okay. Well, with, he's, he just yeah. laughs. He's laughs. He's so sweet. He laughs and laughs and laughs. But he knows it. Right. He's God. Yeah. Ray Charles is God, and there yeah. are a few of them. There are a few of them like that. Who else do you consider? Louis Armstrong. Yeah. He's God. Mm-hmm. And you know, and there, and if I want to really go into it, Steve Wonder's God. Yeah. He's a reincarnation of Ray. Yep. Sly Stone was God. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Hendrix is God. There's a lot of gods if you want to really, really break it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Miles Davis is a god. John Coulter's a god. Mm-hmm. Julian Campbell is a god. Tony Williams is a god. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just so profound at what they put down that if they don't change your life, you might as well just just kill yourself. Yeah. You yep. might just kill yourself. Yep. Did you ever work with Johnny Cash? No, no. but I heard that about him as well. I, uh, a buddy, <laughs> I heard that about him as well. A buddy of mine. <laughs> Uh, a mentor of mine, I should say, played played some gigs with him, and he said, "He's like, you have no idea mm-hmm. the per, the perfection and the perfectionism, and like everything is perfect." Yep. And he doesn't. When I think from the outside watching Johnny Cash play, I don't think that you you there's something there, but you don't you don't realize it. But he was like sitting on stage and watching. He was like, "It is like." It's like going to school, just watching him, watching him perform, and everything that he does is precise and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's how well, Ray Charles is. Yeah. And, and, I know, know from being with Aretha. Yeah, in the studio, I saw in the studio side her her godliness, mm-hmm. which was like rarefied air. I went to make a lyric correction on a six minute long song. It went to went to the you know the uh, the music stand. And there was no paper there. There was no lyric there. It was memorized. Every bit of it. Really? To the point I could punch in on the ending only. Because I, like, I work backwards. I said, let's just work on the ending first. Get all, that, get all the fireworks before, right. we, before we get too technical on the first verse. Fine. We'd punch on the ending and it'd be the same thing all over again. Every little thing she'd done. Whatever wow. it was. I mean, long ending. They're going to make right. a left down better than ever street. And, <laughs> and turn over there and whatever. You know, just all that stuff. Just like down. And I thought, well, let me go look at one thing. There was nothing there. Now, that was scary, brother. That is scary. Okay. Then I worked with her her last seven shows on the, on the earth here. Right. I mean, I'd fly all the way across country because she said, no, right, come on, play with me. She, we had never played together live. Really? No, I did one, one thing for her like two years ago in New York at some private affair. And I went up on Think and Chain of Fools and I kicked it. <laughs> and she loved it. And she sat down and wrapped her throat with a big red towel and stared at me like a prize fighter. <laughs> And then we did Freeway Love, and Freeway Love was like 15 minutes long. We just, we just went at it. And it became like a chant for Jesus, like higher, 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 Jesus, Jesus, all that. And the afterwards, she says, I knew you played drum, but I know you could play like that. I said, well, she said, you got to come play with me all the time. I said, oh, I sure will. Yeah, I will. So she called me, come out to Boston, or come over here, or come over there. I would. So I'm so glad I did, man. Because mm-hmm. then I saw a whole other side of God. Yeah. See, like Ray, here she is, she's God. Yeah. Because what she could do was no one else could do. Even, reason, even in yeah. pro- proclaiming her sickness on some level. Right. Became a spiritual or- orgasm. Right. I mean, the whole place would just weep. Just praying that she'd be okay. But she wasn't trying to make him cry. She was just singing about what happened. Right. What the doctor had said, what the, what the, what the good Lord told her. What the doctor said, what the, what the good Lord had said it to her. And you, you get caught up in the hallelujah. Caught up in the organ... Responding to everything she would say. The choir responding every little thing she'd do. And that would go on for like forever. Mm-hmm. Her, her source of inspiration, like Vishnu, was so long, so 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 in-depth, it had a life of its own. Yeah. That's what I realized with her. We'd just been like, just swelling and could be half an hour. 
That's amazing. I'm telling you, it could be a half an hour, just whatever she wanted it to be. That's what I'm trying to tell you, man. Those people, them's gods. And what is, is that, is that, is that it? I mean, it's just. That's it. You be lucky you got a chance to see him, be right. around him, know him. And it refers me to something else that Amir Erdogan said to um, David Geffen. Because David Geffen was a young pepper one time. He said, well, David, you know, David was talking to Amir and said, Amir, you know, you found, you know, Ray Charles. And then you, you, you how do you, you know, he's questioning him. Right. Amir said, just watch me, okay? I'm going to show you how to do it. And Amir kind of stood up and kind of put his head down and was shuffling along and kind of stopped himself. David said, I don't get that at all. And Amma said, watch me. And he put it down and kind of walked around. And kind of, <laughs> I stopped himself. And David said, what are you trying to tell me? Amma said, you bump on the genius. And when you bump on the genius, you recognize it. <laughs> but you bump into it. Yeah. When we bump into our geniuses, man. We got to love them because that is God. Mm-hmm. That's God in his human form. Yeah. What, what Aretha was able to achieve through all her work in the church. As a little girl, she didn't really want to sing, okay? But her father built a little box, which you stand in a little box and stand next to the pulpit and sing. Mm-hmm. Dad, Ellen Will, sing, Aretha. She had such a gift when she was so teeny. Yeah. But then as she started to grow, it was her job to ignite the church before they ever bring up Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia at the time was a big, big superstar, like Clara Ward, mm-hmm. big superstar. So it was Aretha's job to go around the church, make the church good enough for a frenzy. I mean, absolute frenzy before Mahalia would ever even come out. So she learned how to do that. Now you take that same power into R&B, into pop, into soul, and everything she went into. Right. It's a power, man. It's like a, it's like a, like a key that can unlock. You know? If I'm going to sing about a man, it's going to be the th- best thing you ever heard. Right. If I'm going to sing about God, it's going to be the best thing you ever heard. If it's going to be about, you know, having fun, it's going to be the best thing you ever heard. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. Those gods can do that. Once you're connected, that anything they want to touch. Once I touch it, it's gold. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, did you have a lot of? Did, did, I know that you dealt Carlos a lot. Carlos is God. With, what's that? Carlos is God. Oh yeah. Vishnu's yeah. God. And you Sin, guys are Sin really the close. You and Carlos are really close. Cindy's right? the goddess. What's that? You just in the interview, Cindy. I did. Yeah. She's, she's the goddess. Oh yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. That's rarefied air, brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. She's. It's a lifetime of devotion to the music, and then when you enter into a place that you can do things that no one else can really do, the good Lord gives you an extra, an extra something in there, where even if you practice a certain way, when you go on the stage, something else is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. I'm trying to tell you. You could practice. They practice, and they, they may look kind of normal to you, but when you go to the show and you see them, something else is going to happen. That, that, that they can do. They can handle that. Right. Is that's the godliness. Yeah. Yep. I mean, look at Carlos. He'll play one way, but get on stage and just start playing a whole other way. And if he knows to ignite the audience is by doing a certain thing, he'll wear it out. Yeah. He can get no shame about it. And I say, what do you, how do you, he said, you know what it's like? It's like holding lightning. I'm not afraid to hold lightning. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid. It's God, man. Yeah. He's it's God. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because he, I mean, Carlos is, Another one of those guys that I've just been, you know, completely in love with when watching for my now, whole I'm life. Now, I'm going to go further on you. Out of the South, all those gut bucket blues musicians playing all that genius music, they're all touched by the good Lord. All of them. 
There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. And never get their... There are so many. The Lightning Hopkins of the world, Lead Belly, Lead Belly of the world, and Blind Jeffersons and all that, and people down there just, just, just writing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Concocting blues. and Concocting all that stuff. That's genius to me. Charlie Bird Parker. That's genius to me. Yeah. You know? And all the great piano players. Errol Gardner. Can't even read music. Could play all that piano. Yeah. You know, Wes Montgomery. A guy asked Wes, Man. what... What 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 note is that you play on the guitar? Oh, I don't know. Wes was showing me one of the new songs. I don't know. How can you not know what note that is? You're you're phenomenal. I don't know. And he was like, he was like a factory worker, right? Yeah. And then he would and he would he would go play at night and then get up in the morning and he'd just probably, go to work and probably his whole family was like that. Yeah, his brother Bud and another brother played Monk, whatever his name was, the Vibes player. Mm-hmm. They were all like that. I'm just I'm just saying it's not about having the. The technical wisdom or knowledge of everything. Right. It's just the gift. It's so powerful. Yeah. It's undeniable. I mean, there's so many guitar players who I've talked to that you you ask them about favorite guitar players, and Wes Montgomery's always in there. You know, you walk on the street, most people don't know who Wes Montgomery is, but people who know, mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Herb Alpert, he got it. And then Herb said, You got to sign him. And then Herb made all those beautiful records with him. Mm-hmm. So many beautiful records with him. Mm-hmm. But if you, you, know, like you ask people about technique and stuff, they, he doesn't mean. He just knows what he hears. But what he hears is from God. Right. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I've learned not judge this thing. Not, not, not judge a book by its cover and all that. Oh, you know, you, you, you can't excel in Brooklyn School of Music because you don't have the, the, the technical thing. No, no, no. That's not, where, that's, not the, that's not where the music lives. Right. The music is it lives in your heart and what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people are focusing way too much on the technical and so they're too. losing a lot I of the so musicality. Too. I think so too. You know, it's like, oh, I can play 300 beats a minute. It's like, yeah, but mm-hmm. you're not playing it. You're not, <laughs> you're not making any music with it. Yeah. You're just, yeah. you know. But that's what they have to go through, you see? Right. I feel like we all have our own sadhana. We all have our own adventure on the, on the earth. And some people need that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that grounds them. The fact I can play 300 whatever notes a minute or whatever it is. That may help them ground to get to a place. Now that I've done that, I don't need to do that anymore. Right. Get it out of your system. Yeah. Like yeah. John Coltrane. Maybe the fact that John could play every kind of jazz and every kind of blues and every kind of chord change, even write giant steps. Right. Even, even compose giant steps. Now that I've done all that, now I can play free form. Right. And my free form will have form because I know so much about form. It'll, have, it'll naturally have form because of who I am. But I'm actually playing free. Right. Yeah. Like Jimmy. Listen to Jimmy play Machine Gun live in New York at New Year's Eve with Band of Gypsies. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole song is going, but then see how he just gets out there to a place that's like, what are you, 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 what are you? Way out there, man. Right. See what I'm saying? I love that. I, I do I too. I love that. I do too. That's, I mean, because that's, that's emotion. That's, yeah. that's, I mean, that's love, right? That's that's, that's all, you know, you can't contrive that. You can't, that's happening spontaneously. It's like if you're having a conversation, you start cracking up laughing or you get angry or whatever. It's like, that's that's natural. I got to tell you two, two fast stories because I'm, I'm, they, they come across my mind. One story that Carlos tells me, I just I think it's just it's so incredible. It, it, Carlos, as you know, is so uh, on fire. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Carlos Santana, he's just taking my word for it. He's on fire. He'll walk in the building and you know he's in here because you feel the heat. Right. And then, so he starts talking, you feel it. And then he starts playing, and you really get it. Okay, he tells me this story, and I know it's, I know it's like powerful. 
he said at the time when Jimmy was really, really, really big in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, Carlos was, 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 was on his way coming up. But Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy had already, like, you could say, uh, was the, the biggest name at Woodstock. Right. He was, he was the, 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 on, the, on, the, on the bill. He was the marquee you know guy, I mean? yeah. Okay. Where they barely got Carlos on the goddamn thing because right. of Bill Graham and all that. Bill Graham got him on. Okay, fine. So for Carlos to hang out with Jimmy was a big deal. So then Jimmy says, come down to my session. Really? Okay. So he gets down there, and uh, Eddie Kramer's in there. It's, it's, it's not, not even at the, at the new studio, which is not even built yet. Right. He said, the, the room is just packed with people. Because Jimmy's like people around. And so Carlos watches what's going on, and Jimmy's just playing, just wearing it out. And he says, so much so that his back was to everybody, like, like getting feedback on the amps, you know? But then the tape machines actually ran out. But Jimmy was so lost in the, in the sound he was making, it didn't matter. And then Kramer looks at Carlos and says, I think I'll go out and just tap him on the shoulder. <laughs> so then Carlos says, I'm like, man, go along with you. So Carlos tells that he goes out in there, and Kramer touches Jimmy on the shoulder. And when Jimmy turned around, his face was so full of tears from crying on the amplifiers and the sound that he was into. Carlos told me, I wanted it, but not nearly as bad as he wanted. Really? Now that's some shit, brother. That's some shit. Wow. See? That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's rarefied air. Henry's just Henry's. We think, oh yeah. But to him, he's just crying trying to trying to trying to go for it. Right. Like, like we all are. Yeah. But but where he reached was so high. But to him he's just trying. Pouring his heart out. Just <sighs> a little boy trying to get a sandwich in Seattle. But he's such a genius. Man. See what I mean? And Carlos told me that. So Carlos told me that kind of thing. I know it's real, because Carlos don't don't play, man. Right, he don't play <sighs> at, at all, at all. So I love those kind of stories. I love those kind of stories. What was the second one you were? You said you had two quick stories. I can't remember. That's fine. I can't remember. You got to come back. That's a powerful story, though. Yeah, yeah. And I, you guys, I, been, you I and Carlos have been working together for a long well, time. Well, he's been kind to me. And I just know him as my brother. Mm-hmm. Vishnu was 10 years older. Carl's like more like five years older. Right. So really a little more like my uncle. Right. My, my uncle Travis five years older than me. So I can relate to Carlos in more of an uncle fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never tell him that, but, but my uncle was five years older than me. So we could play together. We could have fun together. We were on the same kind of wavelength, digging the same kind of music in a way. I'm a little younger, right. but I can still dig where he's coming from and not be too old or too much younger where I can't understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. I can understand why he may dig this or that. Right. You know, so it's like, it's kind of like that. Right. Did you play with Hendrix at all? No, I Never. wanted to in high school. Yeah. That was my dream because I knew he had had Mitch. I knew he had gone buddy. Right. And I was thinking he was going to look for maybe the kind of a combination of things. And that might be where place I could excel because mm-hmm. a combination of having, you know, love both of those sides of the fence. But then he died the year, the year I was graduating high school, <sighs> 1970. So that, that threw everything into like the, yeah. uh, into a tizzy. So... Then, then who to, who to focus on? Then after I heard Mahavishnu, then I knew how I could focus sights my life. on that. And yeah, focus my life. Yeah, not knowing I'd ever play with him, right? But just a hero is another great hero I could look at. You know, mm-hmm. I want to switch gears and ask you about uh, about Clive Davis a little bit. Okay, and I re- he talks about you a lot in in this book, <clears throat> and I know that he was notoriously difficult difficult to work with, right? 
or, or not notoriously difficult to work with, but he was he was very uh, he was like a perfectionist, right? And everything like he would he would send back notes on records, or you'd send somebody would send something, and he would be like, "Oh no!" Like he would be very particular about things that needed to be edited and things like that, right? From my side, I always had pretty good luck with Clive Davis, yeah, because it was Clive's um, vision to choose a song that he would love, mm-hmm. and I knew that he would love the demo. Because he fall in love with the demo to the point almost get demoitis because he right. love it. he he would think that he would love that you don't don't want to mess with it because it does not not broke don't fix it right but at the same time you want to make it really current so you have a, we have it was a, a, a dance that we'd have with each other mm-hmm. of loving the demo but then making it current right so that's how we would coexist and I think we did really well having more I think we had more number ones together than probably anybody yeah yeah I think I, I, yeah a lot I've tried a lot of a lot of number ones yeah. yeah. So I, we did quite well. He wasn't that that fastidious. He wanted certain things, but but I, once I got to n- know him, he just wanted to make sure I was honoring what he loved about the demo. Mm-hmm. And for example, he, if, after in my, in my mixing, he might want a little bit more background, you know, those things type type, type things. Right. Or make sure that I, the lead singer was like really clear in a certain spot. Right. Um, we only had a few go arounds where I couldn't get it right because he was. I remember one song, a song called "Lover for Life." Where the bass drum, programmed by Sam D's, for some reason or other, was programmed in, fi- in, a, in a five bar loop. And I would correct it. Every time I'd make four different demos of it, four different recordings of it, I would correct that, thinking that was wrong. But come to find out, that was the thing that Clive loved the most. Really? Without being able to artic- articulate it, he liked the fact that it was moving around. Right. The bass drum. It's so amazing to me how. how- keyed in he was to the music like i mean he, i am what he is well you yes but but clive like he understood music though right he knows he knows his gut right. he knows his feeling he knows what turns him on right and he'll fight for what turns him on and get the whole nation behind what turns him on mm-hmm. he knows if he gets turned on he can, he can turn on the whole nation right that's what it is yeah and you know what i start learning that too if i can give him what to turn him on I'd hear that song on the on the air, on the hour, every hour. Right. It didn't matter what it was. It right, could be right, Kenny, right. Kenny G, who's even not even known yet. Right. But it'd be boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what made me just think of this about the the Tell Me What Do You Want Me To Do mm-hmm. tune. Mm-hmm. Man, I wore that tape out. Well, I listened. That's, that's okay. I was just going to say, yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea why that just popped in my head. But you talk about like being young and listening to, yeah. to records. Yeah. And I wore, man, I wore that tape out. Well, that's Tevin Campbell. I know. You know, a little genius. I think he's a genius. Um, he had Aretha in him, Whitney in him, all the great singers in him by nature. Mm-hmm. By just nature. 14 years old, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Quincy Jones brought him, you know, my mentor, my my great man. Mm-hmm. And flew him in here on his jet and all that. It's like, whew, okay. Did you guys record that here? Yes, right, right where you're sitting. Really? Right where you're sitting. <laughs> that, to me, is like one of those... Yeah. Just because I remember listening yeah, to it when I, was, when I was a kid and you hear that and I never thought that I'd be, you know, sitting here talking to you in the studio where it was recorded and mm-hmm. we'd be having this conversation. Absolutely. You know? I love Tevin. He can do That's things it. no one else can do. Yeah. He's that gifted. Because somebody being a, a, a man, he's got a range that's just out of this world. How high he can go to how low he can go. And because he knows the wisdom and the code of gospel, the code of blues, the code of R&B and soul. He knows the codes that Aretha taught. 
that Ray put down, that, that Whitney put down, they're in his DNA. Mm-hmm. So because of that, he's almost effortless doing anything he wants to do. And then he went to Broadway and learned how to turn people on on Broadway. So he's pretty unstoppable. Yeah. I'd like to work with him again now. Yeah. When we, when he was a kid when we worked together. I was going to say, how old was he? 14 when we worked together. <sighs> but I like working with kids. I mean, look, think about kids. Look at Stacey Lattis on my first big pop record. Mm-hmm. Live Your Angel and Love and Twist Street and Dynamite and Jump to the Beat. She was 11 years old. Right. You know, I like kids. How old was kids Whitney when you when you 19. 19. How so, old was Mariah Carey 19, when you first started working? 19. Do you, th- I mean, do you think that, do you think that you have to, you have to get in when you're young to, to sort of. I think it helps a lot. Yeah. I think to be young makes everyone feel like there's a lot ahead of you. So if you break out and we make a big to do to help you break out, that there'll be a lot coming down the road. Right. That's the feeling. You know, you're 19 years old. I mean, we got like another 10 years, if not more mm-hmm. of, of doing well with you. Right. So that's how it's kind of felt. If you're, if you're a teenager. Hopefully you can hang on for the long ride, you mm-hmm. know, like Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Break out with NSYNC and then go on a solo thing and still be bad. Yeah. He, he's bad. Yeah. You know, he's I mean, look bad. at Jermaine Dupri. He was, mm-hmm. I think, I could be wrong about this, but I re- thought I read somewhere that he was the first person to ever produce a multi-platinum record before his 18th birthday. Okay, I can dig it. And so, it. so you look at someone like him and it's like, man, he's he's got a... He's got a whole career ahead of him, you know, at 18 years old to, to do something like that. Or mm-hmm. And crisscross were 13, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, 12 and 13 see, or something like but that. But there again, Jermaine Dupri is one of those kind of guys who's just a natural. Right. So he's just natural. Mm-hmm. An absolute natural. Like Louis Armstrong, an absolute natural. Right. So he, he knows what the sound should be. He knows how, how it should sound. He knows what it is. He knows it and then do it. Right. Yeah. For him, it's probably quite easy. Right. People are naturals, it's really quite easy for them. Mm-hmm. It ain't that hard. They got, they, they got to show up. If they show up, it's not that hard to actually do it. Right. A lot of people don't know what to do, and they show up all the time, but they don't know what to do. That Jermaine Dupri guy, he's still working with with Mariah. Yeah. See, so he's got just a natural gift, man. Mm-hmm. I think. What I know that you you do artist development stuff. What does that entail for you when you're artist developing? Yeah. If you're developing an artist, you get someone then that's 19, 20, 21 years old, mm-hmm. and they're green. They can maybe sing. They need to be developed a little bit. What does that process look like? A hit song. It's really simple. You got to write a hit song. Mm-hmm. Without How Will I Know, Whitney Houston wouldn't be Whitney Houston. She needs a hit song. Right. Without Vision of Love or I, I Don't Want to Cry or whatever those songs, right? She needs hits. So you got to have hits. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to find them, beg, borrow, steal them. That's the star. From there, then you put them on there and you grow them where they get their confidence up that they can do it more often now. Right. Because in the beginning, Mariah was very like, you know, kind of insecure about not liking how she sounded. Really? It would be like genius. I mean, you'd hear it go like, damn. But to her, it'd be like, rancid. Really? That's rancid to you? It's rancid. Whew. It'd It'd be like, badass. Huh. So that's how she had to grow. And we all have our own way of, 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 of looking at this thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Building in, that. in Whitney's way. Whitney was like, she'd be in love with her voice. It wasn't the Mariah issue. She loved the sound of her voice. Like Aretha loved the sound of her voice. But then within Whitney's case, it'd be like, which voice do I use? I, right. got, I got a killer head voice. I got a dynamic chest voice. And I got the thing that was sewing both together. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing with her. Try it in that voice, okay? Try it in that voice. Try it in the, try it in the middle. 
aha, I can tell 100 years from now, if we put in that voice, in the middle voice, it'll live longer. And then the next line, go to that chest voice. Aha! So that's how we had to improve on with her. Right. You, you could tell almost instantly where, where it would have the longest shelf life. That's the thing, the longevity, right? Mm-hmm. You can listen to a song. Timeless. Timeless song I want in timeless. 20 years. I want what's, what's going to live forever. Right. I want that. And so do they. And that's of why they, they know working behind the microphones, you know, it's a bit on one level kind of a daunting experience. But um, when you get down to it, the music will tell you. The music will tell you, you know, caress this part. You know, feel the emotion. What does it tell you? Right, exactly. Do that. It isn't so hard. It's really about just trying. And then, then the thing opens up for you. Mm-hmm. How do you? How did you learn that? By learn listening, by doing. By listening as a little kid, by listening as a little kid to Nina Simone, a little kid to every kind of music. You know, records have a sound. Records have a sound. You know, if the voice is doubled or it's not doubled, or it's harmonized or it's not harmonized, or the way the track sounds, or it's got a lot of echo or it doesn't have a lot of echo. But each record that's a smash has got a certain characteristic about it. Mm-hmm. So in making a certain characteristic for these different artists, I know I got to fool around until I find that thing that makes me think, oh yeah, that I could li- listen to on an island. It's the only song I have. But I wouldn't get tired of it. Mm-hmm. So you make it sound like that. Yeah. Now, if you the person's like screaming, shouting, no, 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 no. I, can't, I couldn't listen to that over and over again. Right. That, that would get on my nerves. So don't do that. Right. What, what That's all Yeah, I can listen to that. So do that. And I would imagine there's you have to do the you have to walk the line of making it current and and not dating it to where in current five years is the track current is the track the vocalist does what the vocalist does yeah but the track as far as being things current that's what that's what what's moving around all of a sudden now we're into big bass drums now we're into the into a bass line coming from an anyway bass drum being detuned mm-hmm. as opposed to a bass actually doing it now we want a bass drum boom 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 hold the thing you know mm-hmm. so that's where the current thing comes in what's in what's out hand claps in hand claps out you know vocals back vocals out that's what I'm, I'm always trying to find out where the thing is going to move and where it's going to be six months where it's going to be a year from now maybe right we can be that that kind of you know so is the timeless piece the vocals or is the timeless piece trying to walk the line of making the like the 808 kick current and making it that you can listen to it in 10 years it's both it's yeah. having a, a, a sensibility of what you think could live. You got to think that way. Mm-hmm. What could live? What won't get on your nerves? What will still sound good to grandma and the baby? What will sound good to everybody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the and the vocalist is is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not screaming where it shouldn't scream. It's screaming where it should scream. It's all the things it needs to do. Right. And the track, you know, you yes, I want to be current, but I also want to be like about what can. What can be really good music and live, mm-hmm. and if it's simple, that's good too. Just right. absolutely simple. Aside from the the records that you got a lot of accolades, are there records that you that you think you did that really well on? Maybe didn't get as much recognition, but there's some some records that you recommend people checking out that you're like, this is something that we felt like that that you feel like is timeless or that you that you're most proud of that maybe didn't get as many accolades. If I'm honest with you. I love all the work that's come 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 through us. I love all of it. I don't judge it. I just love yeah. I love it. If we worked on it, we put our, our heart on it, we prayed on it, we meditated it, meditated on it. They're all like babies, like children. Yeah. I love them all. Yeah. I don't feel like this is better and not necessarily. It may have gotten more attention, mm-hmm. you know, more on the hour and the hour record radio play. That's beautiful as singles. Right. 
but there's but there's beautiful music we've made we put our heart into that that I will always love mm-hmm. all of it quite frankly yeah on some level I wouldn't have done it if I didn't love it yeah that's true see that's how I feel about music alright last question yes what are your three island records that if you're on a strand on a desert island What's going on comes to my mind because uh, God is love with Marvin Gaye. He's so slick. Marvin Gaye is probably one of the slickest cats walking the earth next to Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say Smokey Robinson was a slick guy in some ways because he was too, is, but not in the same kind of way. I mean, he's slick on like, I will build you a castle with five and so. His melody is so beautiful. But what he got into with, with Marvin and what the Vietnam War did on his head Maybe what's going on is in a way where you can just live with it so long. Because it's talking about everything from ecology to my hair being too long. Or you judging me. I do, you shouldn't be judging me. And how I can get along in the world, how I can do God's work. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, God is love. God is my friend. It's just so much in that record that's incredible. You look at Stevie's works too. You know, Stevie really gets into it too. Mm-hmm. I'm a major, major, major fan of Stevie. So one of his albums, I'm sure I would take two. Intervisions, one of those type of things. Mm. But then I'm also a freaky. I love Laura. I love Laura Nero. She was a big, big star. But her songwriting and what she put down on Eli and the 13th Confession is so beautiful. Or New York Tenderberry album is so immortal to me as an artist mm-hmm. that I love her. So, and then the jazz world. God, man. I want to say something about Mobbish Orchestra is incredible. Like that first album, Inner Mind Flame, is incredible to this day. Yeah. And, um, it's a tough question. It is a tough question, man, because you know what? We are spoiled. Yeah. We've come through a time when, when I was a little kid on 78, I heard Little Richard, you know, Long Tall Sally or Tutti Frutti or, uh, yeah, Long Tall Sally and Tutti Frutti on 78s, and they were electric. Mm-hmm. So you, you hear those things when you're little, little, little. Then where else do you go? Yeah, it's kind of like that. So I don't, I don't know how to how to pick those. I don't know how to pick beyond that, really. Yeah, it's hard. It's a tough question. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to thank you for inviting me here to uh, sit and chat with you. It has been an honor and a pleasure. Like I said, I've listened to you know all the records that you that you put out and have, have been a fan of yours for a very long time. So I appreciate you speaking with me candidly, honestly, and inviting me in here. Everyone here has been extremely nice to me, so I appreciate it. And I appreciate you for what you put out into the world, music-wise and spiritually and, and everything that you do. So thank you very much. Cool. You know, Nat King Cole, people will line up in Vegas to go see him. And after the show, they all line up to go shake his hand, you know. And what Nat King Cole would say was he would say like this. He'd say, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. My man. Absolutely. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Your thing is like life is beyond just being only a drummer. I mean, not only a it's a drummer, yes. It may, it may be opening the door for you. But what, you, what, you, what your question was, your, 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 ent- your entree is more life. That's the goal. I just want I put the lens on it as drummer so I can... Yeah. So I can I want to I want to sit down with drummers and I want to talk about life. I don't talk a lot technical stuff. I want to hear music stories and I like we get into that. But I want people to be able to listen to it, 
get into some deeper topics and learn from it yeah. and they can relate because they're hearing a drummer talk about it's it. It's all good, man. Cause a lot of drummers have got great stories and big hearts. That's yeah. the one thing about drummers, man. And I'll tell you another thing about drummers. that's so beautiful is you can have a great band with a weak drummer and the band is just okay, but you can have a weak band, but with a great drummer, let's say, and the band is incredible. Yep. Yep. That's the power of the drummer. Mm-hmm. The front could be, they're just moderate okay. But if the cat like got like Ringo Starr energy, yep. he can kick them cast number one. Yep. The power of the drum is really important. It's the power of the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So not to ever underestimate, underestimate the, the, the drummer. And the guitar players especially. They need the drummer to help them fly. Yeah. You know, they can fly for a long time. The drummer's giving them that vital information that they, that they need. So mm-hmm. the drummer... And still, I don't have them think about this. Drummers like Vimeyer, we were up against amplifiers. We're playing an acoustic instrument. Yeah. But we're playing it like it's an electric instrument to go up against more stacks of margins on a nightly basis. Yeah. You know, because they, they can mic my drums, you know, they're coming through the speakers and stuff, but they're still an acoustic instrument. Yeah. But I'm playing them up against Marshalls. And I, I knew that early on it'd be like that. So I played hard ever, you know, I learned how to play bass like this with my leg. If I, if I, I knew early if I play, I had to play bass like this. No way would I be able to kick. Couldn't compete with Jeff Beck, no, or people who I didn't play with in my lifetime. I knew this was not ever going to be the sound. It had to be the whole leg. Mm-hmm. So when I learned that, they helped me. And a lot of times I got fired because they, they, they played too loud. I was going to ask you that. Did got, you run situations oh, where you're just like? I went to L.A. and I was trying so hard to make, and I finally got a job working with this this little this R&B band at, on Sunset, a place called the Sold Out. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because they play out green. They play all the cool and all the, play, the players would be up in that place. The players, man, and and my, I was on a riser. It was cool, and I was making a little bit of money, and they were rocking, man. And I got fired. I said, "Well, why are you? F- I need a job, right? You play too loud." That's when I very first heard that. Like, really, huh? I couldn't change that because that's how I play. Yeah. I was gonna say, did you go and like try to figure out how, no. or just say no, no. and just do my thing? You know, it just 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 comes with the territory. Yeah, because later on, I got complimented by Billy Cobb. I played again on Sunset at the uh, Whiskey, not Whiskey Go, down the street from Whiskey Go Go, by the Rainbow Room. What's that place called? Uh, is it, it's not the Troubadour, is it? No, no. That's, that's on Santa Monica. Yeah, it's on Sunset. It's a really famous place. But anyway, we were playing in there with Tiny Bowling. Reggie McBride and Mark Stein and all them cats. And then George Duke and Billy were up in the thing looking down. And when they came back after, we said, you were knocking the paint off them drums. Thank you. So then you see, right? playing loud was cool to him. Right. <laughs> I mean, Billy played loud, man. Oh, frightening. I sat behind him. One time when they were going on tour, Carlos and John playing the Love, Devotion, Surrender album. And it was Billy on the drums. And I got to sit behind him. The buckets of sweat, the amount of information, how long, for how how powerful, for how long he could go on. And be incredibly, you know, finesseful and whoever was so long, just get get on the board, you know what I mean? Right. Raise him up. The, the, the strength, I'm trying to tell you, the strength was just phenomenal. Yeah. And, and the sound on those fives, they were clear plastic fives drums. They spoke like anything I ever heard. Huh. Like wood, wood is wood. Yeah. But that plastic was just like bang, 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 like guns going off. 
and he controlled him. He controlled him, man. And he was also pretty. He was like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. He had it going on. He knew how to funk with it with his head. <laughs> you know, he he vibe with this one, you know. But he'd be, he'd be staring over here, boom, digga. Like even like birds of fire, like boom, digga, digga, dam, digga, digga, psh, oh, yeah, pop, digga, digga, pop, digga, digga, pop, digga, like that. I'm, I'm trying to imitate what he was right. doing, but it'd be pretty. He'd be pretty. Like when I was used to seeing the cap. Snare and crashing and riding over here. Yeah. It would be the opposite way around. But that's how he was. So it was a real different kind of look at him. Like Jimmy being on the left hand. It looked, mm-hmm. looked like a different animal. It's a monster, man. I know. Phenomenal. And and then you know, like, like you took to Cindy and she's Tony Williams. And yeah. so am I. But Tony World and Billy World are really good different worlds to me. Yeah. Tony World's really Tony World. He's like Bruce Lee. Incredibly fast and incredibly like you know, like, like a race car. Mm-hmm. Nothing to everything, you know? But whereas Billy could play loud, and his thing was more like a rock drummer to me. Yeah, I can see that. More like, a rock, more like if Keith Moon played the funk and the jazz in India, that's what Billy Cobb to me. Whereas Tony Williams has more of the jazz side in him. Real jazz. Mm-hmm. Like swing jazz. Like... Yeah, had all that stuff going on, so that's kind of look. I look at them, them cats, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. like Billy would like. I mean, not. I don't mean. I'm not talking past tense, but he just had. To me, I always looked at him. He was like a five to ten guy. Hmm. Like I always felt like he was sort of like his energy. He was always between like five and ten, mm-hmm. you know. But then you look at somebody like Tony, or mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Elvin always sounded like a freight train to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Tony. I felt like he was like a, a one to ten guy. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just like unbelievable. Yeah, the dynamic range was really important for him. Yeah, and don't forget he played with cats who really were playing acoustics. I mean, yeah, Miles Davis on trumpet, you know Wayne Shorter or whatever on sax, Herb on acoustic piano, mm-hmm. Ron Carter on acoustic bass. They really were, and they were like so, pushing the room. Yeah, so it was important that he can come down yeah. and then go out and come down. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Billy, where John has stacks. Yeah, I mean those Marshalls were cranked. You know, it was a, it was a loud band. And John <laughs> Howard guy got a hold of it and started like imitating Vishnu on the Moogs and all that stuff. And that was whole of the world. <laughs> and I think in my spirit, I'm really more a rock guy. Yeah, I love jazz, but I wasn't raised strictly on jazz. I'm not a, a prude jazz guy. Mm-hmm. I never liked, liked jazz like that, quite frankly. Right. I love all music, but really, to be honest about it, my E equals MC square moment was in the basement. Of my dad's friend Marvin in Kalamazoo, I'd be about nine years old, and we finished working with my dad, and we went to have my dad went to have a beer with Marvin in the basement, and so the, his buddies are hanging out, and Marvin had on Jimmy Smith's The Sermon, oh, it's one of my favorite records, on the stereo, a good stereo, and I was transfixed. Why? I love organ music. I love Jimmy Smith. I love all that music. I yeah okay, but what? Art Blakey, who I didn't even know about Art Blakey necessarily, he played so simple on a backbeat, like a rock and roll backbeat mm-hmm. against jazz. And I had never heard that before. I used them like, jing, 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 pop, pop, jing, all that stuff. No. All of us, jing, 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 For 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe twice in the record. Pop, 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 jing, jing. 
just rocking like that. Yep. And as a kid, it's a couple it rim shots. Attention because it was just rock and roll against all these cats. You know, Kenny Burrell, Stanley Turrentine, all these guys, Jimmy, playing so incredible, all the, all the cool stuff, but against a backbeat of rock and roll. That was my MC Square. That you can play rock and roll and jazz. Now that was really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. That that really got me. So so why? So I think I'm more of a really a rock guy. Yeah, yeah. I like how the the backbeat of rock can move the audiences. They just be so esoteric. I never want to be so esoteric. I want to be like get everybody. I'm with you. So, so I always play the backbeat hard. I want to get everybody. <laughs> Even inside my drum solo, I play drum backbeats, cold you know cold sweat. Right, and then go off. Come back, cold sweat. Mm-hmm. Go off. Come back, cold sweat. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah, man. I, 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 I want it. I don't. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm so bad. Like I'm not. I'm not like Tony. I can just do what I want to do. No, I always want to connect. Right. For me, it's always important to connect. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is, but it's in my nature. I'm I'm the same way though, and I'm not just saying that. Like mm-hmm. I I mean I love jazz, of course, but like I like a backbeat. I like mm-hmm. a thick backbeat mm-hmm. like i mean that's why i like r&b that's why i like mm-hmm. funk that's why i like rock that's what mm-hmm. you know like i i mm-hmm. like feeling that backbeat mm-hmm. versus like somebody yeah. comping and yeah. I, and it's beautiful and i listen yes. to it yes. I, I love it too yes. uh but i never you know i was more i've, I've always been a, a backbeat guy yeah. then i heard something really great on tony recently which i didn't know was tony but i was surprised by it because it was like wow, i didn't think it was even carlos had played me um to me, to record with Tony, a, a Jimi Hendrix jam called uh, Spanish Castle Magic. I know. But Tony, you wouldn't recognize him. I didn't recognize him. Really? It's like Mitch Mitchell, but kind of what Tony would do, but really like rock. Not like no hip jazz guy trying to play rock, which right. happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that at all. It was really like rock, but great. Really? To the point where I, I almost thought it was Cindy at first. I said, Cindy, is that you? Because I know you look Tony. Right. That must be you. But it was just another stone. He said, "Really? Huh?" I listened to it, and then I got in trouble <laughs> because I said, "Well, you know, Mitch Mitchell put the blue book down so strong that you know Tony's just taking that blue book and just no, no, that's Tony there. They're they're they're, 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 they're Tony fanatics. No, that's Tony. You know, that's Tony. Yeah, well, I know that's Tony, but but don't forget what he's playing is Tony, but on a Mitch Mitchell jam. Right? Mitch peed all over that thing. Right? I mean, come on. I'm I'm sorry. Mitch Mitchell is." is a killer. Yeah. Was a killer. I mean, he wrote how to do that stuff. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. I'm a fan of all of it, man. I'm a fan of all of it. Me too. Tony Williams is really incredible. Yeah. I have to keep coming back because I know Cindy's on me. Come on. Tony, Tony. Yeah, yeah. I know. We talked about him a lot on, on the you, podcast. You, yeah. you get with her. She, I mean, you know, that's it. Man, the first, you know what's funny about Cindy? The first time, I mean, I just knew her. I was like, oh, she plays with Lenny Kravitz, mm-hmm. right? When I was younger. And I walked into a music store mm-hmm. and her DVD was playing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. It blew me away. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea that she was that kind of player. Exactly. Completely blown away. And I'd seen her a couple, like I'd seen Lenny Kravitz live a few times. And I was like, oh, Cindy Blackman plays drums for him. Great. She's a rock drummer. And then I saw, and I was like, oh. And, and then, like, you know, interviewing her and all that stuff now, it's like, Oh, that's, yeah, she's like, she's Tony Williams, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean that in the best way. No, of course, I understand. You know? She's got it, man. She's got it. And she can sing, too. Which I yeah. Didn't know. Now, now we got her singing, too. So she told like, me that you convinced her to, yeah, uh, well, it's just for to fun, sing. But she's, she's got a good voice. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So we just blew up Imagine and blew a few things. And Carl came play it. I was like, wow. It's a whole other thing. Right. So I like all that. Yeah, me Make, too. Mix it up. Mm-hmm. So that was the man, the myth, the legend, Narda Michael Walden. And I don't know about you, but that conversation threw me for a loop, man. That was one of one of my favorite conversations I've ever had in my entire life. Not just about mute, just in general. And in person, his you can feel his energy and you can feel his spirit. And it is amazing just to be in his presence. And he's such a happy positive dude and he exudes that energy and it's it's just amazing i'm so thankful to have had him on the on the podcast i would love to hear your feedback so please shoot me emails or reach out on social or whatever you got to do uh yeah i would i would love to hear your feedback and thank you so much for listening i i you know i appreciate it but like this one i don't know this one was a special one for me so i hope you dug it i hope you enjoyed it and again thank you so much for listening and until the next podcast keep drumming. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.